Welcome back to Dating Games, the modern relationships podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Temps, and our guest this week is the CEO and founder of Her. The app, much like our guest, is doing trailblazing work, connecting people every day. And if you want proof, their website is full of heartwarming match stories that bring joys even on this cold January day. So with that all said, please welcome our wonderful guest, Robin Exton. Hello. Good morning. Good evening. This is traveling these time zones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's it, because it's 8am for you and it's you're awake and it's like, chirpy and yeah. I'm, I'm amazed. It's a great way to start the day, you know, cup of coffee, talk about dating lives, talk about dating trends. It's how, how my days begin. I guess that's it. It's like it's every day for you. And I don't know why this surprises me, but I've done a level of reflection on dating during this show that I have never done in my life I think including whilst in relationships so maybe that doesn't sound the best when you do it like having there you're like why did I not think about this stuff before like how unaware have I been just like going through dating and thinking "Ah, it's just gonna all like magically work out and all these things will come together and when you actually stop and think about like what are the components that makes dating work when doesn't it work like what's good structures for dating what's bad structures you're like oh this seems like a more helpful guide for people to think about And yet we all still fuck it up all the time. Although I think it's not entirely our fault because that sort of very much is the narrative, right? Like that so much of these conversations lead with, is this person single or are they not? Like this binary Mm -hmm. notion. And it's particularly for women that can be accredited with like value or desirability. It's, you know, all this fun Mm -hmm. stuff of you can somehow be more desirable if you're in a monogamous relationship, Mm. which seems ironic and fucks with us single people. Yeah, and unhealthy, really, (laughs) as a starting structure. Yeah, and so maybe it it takes having something like this to really explore it, you know, it being part of your work. I mean, that's certainly been me in a lot of cases. I didn't start doing proper self-care until I got into modelling. Like, I Mm. pretty much needed, like, a financial incentive to look after myself. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. Like, the problem I find with dating self at the same time is I've now been running the company for nearly eight years and I'm still really bad at dating <laughs> to some extent. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I can, like, theorize and talk about it as much as I want and, like, know all the principles. And then I just see myself doing these things and, like, what's happening? Why am I doing this? And it's happened. <laughs> I've got this vision of one of your team just, like, pulling you out of the shop for even saying that because are you allowed to say you're bad at dating in your position? I mean, I just feel like I have to just because I think we're all just, like, on this struggle bus of, you know, trying to make life work. We were chatting with the team about back in the day, when we all used to be able to go to bars and meet people in person in group settings. I was one of those people of my way of like coming on to a woman is just to stare at her. And even now, like even just before the pandemic, that was still what I would do at bars. And I'm like, how can I be of this age? I've like uh, dated enough people, run a freaking dating company. And yet I still find myself getting crippled when it comes to going up to someone to just ask them out or start talking to them. In many ways, you feel like one of the most qualified people in the world to ask somebody out. If you don't like me, if you say no to me, I have a, a whole service. You can speak to 7 million other people. Literally. And I remember <laughs> I was doing a like piece of media for something. This was actually still quite early on in the company. And I was single then. I'm single now. And this person was like, had a video camera like right up in my face. And they were like, have you ever thought about the irony that you spend every day helping like millions of people connect and fall in love and yet you're constantly by yourself? <laughs> and I was like, Wow. <laughs> also what do they think you were gonna say no no I never think about being single doing this job (laughs) just whizzes by me I just don't even know (laughs) 
But I think that's also the case. It's just like, I don't know, each, I think it's why dating is so fascinating. Like each interaction is so unique. A few different people or multiple different people that bring like such different backgrounds, experiences, nuances, the context that you're in at the moment you meet that person. And then when you're dating, like so many variables change all the time and each one is totally unique. And I think it's why like my belief with her, but also I guess in dating is just that like it has to start with yourself because it, you're the only constant or like variable that you kind of can like impact. And so the better you're feeling about yourself and the better you're feeling about dating, hopefully the better kind of experience you're going to have. At the same time, you can get some real duds on the way. <laughs> you can't really change that. I love that. I love that outlook. I think that's your first point right there. <laughs> and so talking of every experience being unique, you have a story to start us off with? Yeah, so I was going to say this beforehand. So I was thinking about stories and uh, I like panicked at first. I'm like, I don't have a good story. And I was thinking about my stories of like dating some women, dating some men. And the ones with men just are more extreme. I don't have as many extreme stories of like dating women. They're like a bit emotionally intense, but not as quite dramatic. I do have more dramatic ones from guys. So this is a story of a guy. It was like a dating in reverse. So when I moved to the US, I had a roommate who was another British woman who told me about the TV show, The Bachelor. And like in the US, it's insane. It's like, number one, it's the most absurd TV show. It is like really messed up on many levels of like what they make people go through and how they portray people. For a lot of time, it was just women. Then it was men as well with The Bachelorette. And they just make people look like awful. They humiliate them. So she was watching it and she was like, you've got to see this. This is like insane telly. And I watched the first episode and I was like, this is disgusting. I can't like watch this anymore. And then she just kept watching it. And then I got sucked in. <laughs> and then I was like hooked on the first series. And now I freaking love the show. And it is messed up and it is weird. But, but there's something about like, I just love trashy dating shows. And that was kind of like the genesis of it. So all my friends know I had this like weird love of The Bachelor. And I was out in a bar with some friends. I've, I'd only seen some of the recent series. There's something ridiculous, like 40 series or something. Um, and my friend was like, oh my God, that guy was like one of the contestants on The Bachelor. Like, where? Show me. And so I was like tearing through this bar. And like, <laughs> to cut the story short, we ended up sleeping together that night. So, to so you won. A few blocks. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so I won The Bachelor. Um, so, but the next morning uh, when I woke up, he left like very quickly. And I was like, oh God, I couldn't remember his name. And I texted my friend and was like, what was that guy's name? And she wouldn't tell me. And so the only way I could find out his name was to go watch The Bachelor 3 and go like watch it again, which was just uh, alarming me to it. But then it, it doesn't end there. So then I thought like, cool, we're done. Probably not going to like speak ever again. He texted me and was like, do you want to go on a date? And I was like, oh, interesting. I don't know if I do, but it's The Bachelor. And like, I just got to be able to ask some questions because I didn't ask anything about it. So we yeah, this, this is where you're starting to cross some ethical lines, but go on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we went on a date and it was on the day where there's this event in San Francisco called the Folsom Street Fair. Mm -hmm. And it's the world's biggest BDSM festival. And I went with a friend. It was the second time I'd ever been since living in San Francisco. And you go there and like you really see some things. And I always think of myself as quite thoughtful and engaged in different sex lives and practices. But it just feels different when you're like on a street and seeing like a daisy chain on a stage or seeing. I don't know what a daisy chain is. Mm. So a daisy chain. I think I learned this there. I wondered why I know it before. Anyway, group of men rimming in a circle. 
And uh, someone was in the middle just talking about this pleasurable experience. Interesting. So you just, yeah, you really see a lot. And so I'd gone to this and it was just like people are anyway, really extreme things. And then I went on the date after this and I think my brain was just like flooded with all this stuff. And we sit down and I was like, well, I've really like seen a lot today. So we start as like telling him about some of the like crazy things that I'd seen. And Daisy Chain was like the entry level. That was like stage one, welcome to the party. And so anyway, we're chatting. And then for some reason, we talk about masturbation. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, so I, I, that's what I was saying. Like, oh, you know, you've seen some stuff, you're watching porn and you're masturbating. And you see some, you know, like a weird trail and you're watching some stuff and you don't know how you got there. And uh, he was like, you masturbate. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, really? I said, like, yeah. And he was like, wow, I don't know any women that masturbate. And I was like, interesting um, <laughs> you don't know any do, women that are honest do you know any women <laughs> like I was like do you know any women to start with and then I was like well my guess would be either your friends are lying to you or you have like a very interesting niche small set of like female friends he just like couldn't believe me that this was the case. but also the fact that he's so strong in his belief on that would make me think oh. you're probably not the guy that a woman would talk about that with it was just so absurd and i just like couldn't get my like head around it and anyway so like uh, we left on the that date and i was like cool we're probably not going to see each other again and i certainly have no interest in nothing to this guy and then just to like seal off the whole absurdity two weeks later he texted me on a Sunday night at like 9 p.m. and just said, like, want to come over and watch porn? Question mark. <laughs> I was like, no, thanks. And, and like, <laughs> I think I remember exactly what I said. I was just like, generally, no, thanks. I mean, maybe you should have said, I don't know about porn, but how about we watch you on The Bachelor? And that could really get me going. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my porn, babes. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes to me. His reply was, wow, Robin, when we met, I thought you were pretty cool. But I guess I got that totally wrong. Thumbs down emoji. <laughs> okay. Yep. Interesting. I was like, it was all so hilarious to me. And I, it was like so obvious. This guy has like got so many like issues. And I was like, well, this, this is the lesson. You want to play with fire and go near someone from The Bachelor? This, I don't know what I expected to come out from it, but it felt very on par with what I should have expected for someone that came out of that show. I'm honestly a bit baffled by that story. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking like, just to start, he needs to quickly do a Twitter poll and find out how many women are <laughs> masturbating watching him because I think it'll disavow him of his false beliefs and, and make him feel objectified, which might be a bit good for him in terms of empathising with women. Yeah. You know, I'm all for men experiencing a bit of how they might be treating women. And mm. just, like, realign some basic facts. In some ways, I'm like, this poor bloke has gone through his life, like, thinking that women don't masturbate that's just like some basic science that he's like really been misaligning on like what kind of impact could that have had on like many different sexual experiences just not knowing he may have situations where he doesn't know what he's doing with a woman and he's not going to ask them if he doesn't think they know either you know it's like it's disempowering for everyone i yeah i can very much imagine it was absurd <laughs> but you know you won the bachelor and you decided got that under your belt go back to the real world right <laughs> Yeah, it was on the verge of like, wow, could I start collecting Bachelor contestants? One was enough. It turns out one is enough to see what that... I'm not going to say all Bachelor people are the same, but it is a certain type of character that they tend to recruit on the show. So um, I've not watched it. Am I right in assuming there's a certain amount of confidence and or narcissism that maybe goes into wanting to put yourself out there like that? Vast amounts. And I think there's this like interesting balance and they love to talk about the show of like, are you here for fame or are you here for love? You know, obviously they're all here for love. Like, uh, why else would you go on a dating show the way you like uh, 
date for two months but it's just like the odds statistically this is not your place to find love like you're on a series where there's like 32 people dating one person at the end of it one person will end up with that person and most of those relationships also don't work out and I think like to become a character from it they know they have to they like if you do some more extreme stuff like say crazy stuff like get into fights become accusatory jealous insecure like and it's very it's a very like surreal show of like what's real and what's fake but that's half the joy of it but it takes the piss out of itself even it's a complete like joke about itself like they know it's absurd but that's kind of and but i wonder if everyone that watches it also knows it absurd or if they're just watching it like very sincerely because it's the greatest love story ever told it's hard to tell maybe you're wrapping the wrong thing i think you could be uh doing podcast interviews talking about the bachelor because i feel very sold <laughs> <laughs> and yeah i think i need to watch it now like these reality tv shows are like my absolute jam and we have uh, someone new joined our team last year we were chatting this was like she'd been in the company for a couple of months and then after it just came out randomly that like i was watching some awful show and she was like oh my god tell me what you watch and we had this like <laughs> long slack thread about all the like awful reality tv dating shows that we watch and like and when i was back in the uk i was watching naked attraction and i was like ah oh, this is really so much of it starts in the uk i think the uk does some of the best dating tv shows what i will say for naked attraction is I mean, I love Anna Richardson, the host. And, you know, they put sex ed in there. And I'm like, fair play, because that is not what people are here for. But you get educated. I think Naked Attraction should almost be like part of a curriculum. I think it's a fantastic show. Just like it makes you realise that you just don't see bodies in that way. Like seeing naked bodies is important to like know what bodies look like, to know the like breadth and diversity, the like stories behind each person, like to realise our judgments that we hold around like physicality. And so I think it's a brilliant show. Yeah, I really like it. <laughs> Binged a bit of that. <laughs> I love it. I just think, well, if nothing else, you've won The Bachelor. And when we get another reality TV show president, you'll know all about them. So <laughs> what you'll find next in my like journey path is you'll find that I go from being a Bachelor fan to then like coming soon to her the next Bachelorette series. <laughs> We've talked about it. No, no one else will let me do it. So it's not happening yet. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, you know what? We're going to chat afterwards because I think podcasting needs a reality tv style element to it yes because i i just think that'd be fascinating because you even said it off air before we started so many people really love the feeling of their listening into a conversation and the people they listen to regularly feel very familiar and you feel you know them inside out and they've never met you before and that fascinates me so i wonder if there's space to do something like gogglebox yes i think you could just mic the cast of gogglebox for the rest of their day and then just edit (laughs) together the best conversations oh i think it would be such easy listening it really would be I, I mean, all right, we're going to chat. We're going to figure, <laughs> we're going to talk after this. But uh, to talk more dating for now. So you launched the app back in 2013. It really is the first of its kind. And it came out of you being single and you'd been dating women for about six months and you realized there is not good Re- resources, yeah. feels the wrong word, <laughs> not good yeah. methods to, to do this. There wasn't really, there was a website called Gaydar and then there was Gaydar Girls. Yeah. And so Talked about that on the podcast, like the actually. Only... Yeah. Oh, have you? Yeah, Jen Brister. <laughs> yeah, she was really there trying to make the uh, the over 40s references for everyone. Oh, 
I mean, it was, that's what was there. Mm -hmm. And it was just awful. Like it looked awful. It was terrible to use. It was filled with fake profiles. And my friend who I was working with, like we were working at an agency, uh, like a creative agency, and we were working with the dating business. So I was kind of looking at all these different like products. And my friend was using Grindr and it was at the time, Tinder had started in the US, but it hadn't made it to the UK yet. And he was using Grindr and we were just like, this is it. Like, this is totally the future, which was at the time, I think we just saw it as like, this is the most like empowering, a pocket full of people that's like exciting and secret and feels like you have like the insider knowledge. Everyone else doesn't have it. doesn't matter what your sexuality is. If you're not like a gay man, you don't have access to that. I just thought it was brilliant. And it was like Grindr for all the stuff that they have gone through and, you know, many thoughts about how they are as a platform now. But they made this whole thing completely change the way people were able to meet each other. Because before that, it was very stranger danger on the internet. Like it was seen as a very unsafe practice to meet someone that you'd met online. And with Grindr, that just flipped totally. And so Grindr like really started stuff. And obviously like Tinder then introduced the swipe mechanic and that changed everything like into a different place. But I was looking at Grindr and was just like thinking about it a lot, even from just like a brand perspective. I hated the way gaydar girls looked. And I was like, why isn't there something that like feels what my life has looked like since I've been going to queer bars and club nights and like meeting these women who are like interesting and sexy. It just opened, I think like we call it like the pink haze. Like it just opens your eyes up to queer life and like freedom and like expression. And it feels so powerful and liberating. And it just didn't feel like that using gaydar girls. And so mm. I was like, there's got to be something better to do. And so did that launch before Tinder in the UK? Yeah, so Datch was the first app that I made. And so Datch was out before Tinder in the UK. Yeah, but the Datch actually used to work more like Grindr. So it was a kind of grid structure. And Datch ran for like a year and a half, nearly two years. And then in 2015, we changed everything and made it her. And her was launched in 2015. 2015? <gasps> my research yeah. is wrong. So, so Datch was in 2013. And so that's right. when I started doing it. And so Datch was like the main things, like my experience at the time, like I didn't come from a tech background. I didn't know anything about like product or product design. I was just like, Grindr's freaking cool. I want something like Grindr for me. Like I want to be able to have casual sex whenever I want. And so Datch worked a lot like Grindr. The experience was a lot like Grindr. And a lot of the lessons over the like course of that product was that experience doesn't work for a female audience. Like the way women have been socialized growing mm -hmm. up does not make it conducive to using that like interaction pattern. Like to see a picture and then to go in, say yes, and then start a conversation is something that can work really well with people raised as men because they're like told all the time, like, go for it, pursue that person, go get what you want. Whereas people socialize as women are much more inclined to be waiting to receive that imbalance when that's happening on both sides you're not really getting much chat going on. And guys were looking for something casual. Women just generally aren't. Like they absolutely are on occasion, for sure. There's like a, a bunch of people who, you know, want casual experiences, but it's not at a high enough volume to build a whole like product and like business and an experience around. So the way Datch worked just wasn't enough. You know, weird to disagree with you on something that isn't my lived experience, but I feel like yeah. the only thing I would add is maybe for women there's more of an ingrained emotional element in this. So maybe they're looking for something casual, but them really getting on and connecting with that person, even if it's just on a friendship level, is perhaps higher yeah. than men that might be looking for something casual. And of course, totally. that's not like a whose gender is better. I think you're right. It's more socialised. Like we are not encouraged to express emotion as frequently. 
Yeah. And I think that when the the type of casual that I was thinking would happen and that I was thinking about at that time, because you're right, I mean, casual is like also can be so many different things, right? Like you could be dating someone for six months and just be having sex and that's still casual. But the the type that I was thinking about at the time was on Grindr, people would message a meetup within the hour. That was how fast stuff was happening. And then to have sex that quickly. And that is something that like when we spoke to some users, they thought if it was like a Friday or a Saturday night, they would be more inclined to be like, yeah, I kind of fancy like a casual hookup. But you're right that there's like a number of steps for women that would happen before that point even took place. So the fact that on the app, you would see the closest person to you. For our users, that was like rarely important information because they were never going to meet up within the hour. Like anytime they were going to meet up with someone, there was going to be like a bunch of chat that would happen before that. And whether that's like a safety thing, an emotional thing, like building a sense of attraction that, that exists beyond just like a photo, there was more stuff that needed to happen beforehand. And the way the app had been designed didn't make that easy. It made it like much harder and it didn't make it like a natural journey. And so what we found and how her works is the reason you view one profile at a time is to encourage you to make a decision, yes or no. Mm. And it leads to people saying yes more frequently, which leads to there actually being a conversation, which is ultimately what people came here for. We just have to help people through different stages of that journey. Wow, that's so clever. And I guess that's a similar issue that Bumble, for example, has come across where they're trying to encourage women to make the first move. And I totally understand like the ethos and the the ideas around kind of safety and women not getting overwhelmed with mm-hmm. prospects and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess the same thing and then not making a decision because you've got yep. 10 guys coming through every hour or however, <laughs> however much yeah. women are getting. Not as much for men. Yeah. No. <laughs> And that's like, you know, even at our so like the match to the conversation rate, like we would have people matching all the time. You know, it would be like 40% of people actually start a conversation from having a match. And I was like, this is insane. Like, what are people doing? Like, you both said you like each other. Why is this not turning into something? So we introduced, we have like an icebreaker that comes into a conversation after 24 hours if no one has sent a message. And that led to you know, like a 20% increase in the number of conversations that were starting just for someone like helping to start that conversation for each other. And so I think, you know, what I hope we're able to do with her is like think about unique experiences that our user base has and build stuff that works to just make that dating process better for them. You know, when you're in a product like Bumble, you're thinking about 50% of your market is this men pretty much. And so you're having to design stuff that works like really well for them. Vast majority of our users are, I think at the moment it's like, it's about 90% this women, it's about like 6% have been like, uh, have, have not assigned a gender. And then we've got about 2% non-binary and about 2% trans. So we're like thinking about all the unique different experiences, but we have a smaller set of experiences to think about than I think some of the mainstream dating apps have to consider. Although I think many people will feel you're doing a much better job of considering them, <laughs> which I, you know, I love reading about in terms of what the apps achieve so far and how engaging people find it to use, you know, because it's got the social media element as well as what the majority of us would think as, as a dating app like Tinder, for example. But yeah. and the thing I got distracted by was you saying about 40% and how low that was, because that doesn't feel low from someone that does use <laughs> Tinder and Hinge, for example. Yeah. 
And what percentage of matches do you think people are talking to at this point? I think it's around 60% at the moment. I think that is something like there's just all these things that are quite unique to our community. So at one point we did a data swap with Grindr because we were interested to compare the differences of what happens on her and what happens on Grindr. It was just amazing things like the average message length on Grindr was like, I can't remember what the exact number was. It was like 2.7 messages or something absurd like that. It was below five and that was the average number of messages, whereas our average number of message length was like 37.6 or something. So <laughs> wow. there's just like so much more conversation happening. And uh, it's, it's been interesting in, in COVID, it's gone up even more, which I think I, we were talking in the team about it. I was like, in some ways, I feel like queer women were just like designed for this moment. We love a long distance relationship. We love the like lengthy chat. We love like really getting to know each other and like building emotional connection first. And this is just this framework of what's been happening in lockdown is just allowing us to like excel at all these different stages. Wow. Yeah, that's so fascinating. <laughs> and I guess I know where all the chatty women are now. If I ever want more podcast guests, you've got them. Yeah, they are on her. And I think like there's a bump to get over, like get to get into that conversation. I think like that's a bit of a hurdle to kick mm. it off. Once you're in, you're golden. There's like oodles of chat to have. <laughs> Wow. Okay. No, that sounds great. And the next thing I wanted to ask you about, we actually had, I think the episode that will go out before this one, we were talking about like the importance of knowing what you want in a relationship. And that helps give you a framework of, is this relationship working? Because I know what I want from it. And how Mm -hmm. many people don't have that very much myself included when I was younger. And then I've heard you talk about that as something that surprised you when launching the app. You were like, okay, now we're getting the the user base, it's growing, and we're finding so many users actually don't know why they're here. Yeah, it's such a complicated thing because there's so many different factors. And I do think you're kind of balancing what I want right now and what is like front of mind and at like surface like level for me. And then there's like, what do I need on a deep level or like the things that are going to like fulfill me and make me happy? And I think most people spend most of their lives existing in that like front of headspace, which is like fine and absolutely fine. And it's a great way to date. And there can be a bunch of great experiences that come from that. And maybe, you know, rolling the dice each time, something great could come of it. And mm-hmm. for me, I think about I've dated people who was like reminded me of someone like hot. I just saw on a TV show a couple of weeks ago and that made me attracted to them. And like, you know, is TV your whole dating outlook? Is I that know, what we're learning? <laughs> I think people are alarmed about how much TV I watch. I love it. You know, you kind of like, I'll I'll try and sell more. You can have read an article (laughs) that that talks about, you know, like an experience of something. And then you meet someone who's like had that experience and you're like drawn to it. And, you you know, you can spend like weeks with that person because that's such like an alluring piece of information. But I think depending on what you are looking for, the idea of from something casual to something serious, figuring that out is difficult. I think that you could be looking for both of them at the same time. And so that is even confusing. Like I would like to find, you know, a partner for a long period of time. But in the meantime, if I meet someone casual, then that's okay as well. It's completely confusing messaging. And it means you're like looking on apps, wiping completely different, like erratic, random things. One thing, again, I think has been good about COVID is it has led a lot of people to slow down in their dating and be a bit more thoughtful about who that person is that if you're going to take a risk and even meet up outside is this what I like is it something casual or is it something more serious and how does that change what we're going to say we're going to do and like plan the interaction for the date but I think it's why that level of self-reflection before you go into it can pay you back so much in the long run of like actually getting a way more fulfilling date and interaction and relationship because it is what you're looking for and stops you like confusing yourself of thinking 
I thought I wanted something more casual and now I'm dating this person. Ooh, the feelings are coming in and maybe it could be something more serious. But that's like if you'd actually been honest in the first place about what you were looking for and what this was, it would have hopefully helped a bit more in the guidance of that. But one thing I find interesting is the difference between in the US, there is a lot more reflection and intentionality mm. around dating. I mean, especially in California, I found that a lot less to be the case in the UK. In the UK, it was just like, don't talk about stuff, just like see where it goes, like go on a few more dates. If it's not right, end it. Don't talk about it. Just say this isn't right for me and walk away. And just all these things of like, there's just so much less communication about emotions and, and feelings and where you're at. Yeah, points for that. The, the thing you've made me think of is this weird thing where politeness in this country can mean not talking about important topics. And I don't know where the logic for that one is. Absolutely. I was with a friend over here who's British and I mainly hang out with British people in San Francisco. Um, and her mum was visiting. And my friend, I was talking to her about, you know, recognising your emotions and like sharing those with someone you're dating. She was dating a new guy. So she was saying, I've been sharing with this guy, like I've been trying to share more about my emotions. It's really hard for me. He's been helping me. And her mum was just like, I just don't think it's necessary. <laughs> I think you're really putting a big burden on him. Like, it's just not appropriate. It's not the case. <laughs> it was like just such a reminder of like where a lot of these behaviours come from. Like a lot of our parents were taught that by their parents. And it is like assumed as part of the culture. And so when you're trying to figure this stuff out, like it is hard. It's not how we've been raised and told to think about what it is OK to talk about and not OK to talk about. And my, like my recent thinking is that's not my decision to make about how you will feel about me telling you this stuff. Like all I can do is work out if this is important to me. And if I think it, if I think I should be sharing this to you as context, then that's information for me to decide, do I want to carry on dating you if you find this too much? Or do we find that this is like good information and you're like happy to hear it and it builds like a different kind of like intimacy between us? Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking that one with me. Uh, more points for that one as well. That, that's so good because I think I've seen that so many times. I'm thinking of certain friends of mine here who have been in that situation where there's been like an issue in the relationship. And oftentimes this ends up being the issue that can end the relationship. And both sides don't want to bring it up because they're like, oh, well, what if the other person doesn't want to talk about it? And it's like, well, mm -hmm. but should that matter? You know, if it's important to you, if it's worrying you, if it's affecting maybe your feeling of intimacy or how you see that person, not only is that important enough because it's important to you, but also maybe there's a version of it where, you know, they have the right to know, you know, if mm -hmm. you're having an issue in the okay. relationship, they need to know it far more than me as your friend does. Yeah. I think it leads to like so many bigger problems down the road as well, because like something can start cropping up and then you think oh, I shouldn't talk about it. Like it's not a big deal. I'll just let it pass. But it doesn't. It grows. And it becomes like a bigger and bigger thing. And then you find yourself like three months down the line and it feels like this huge topic that you think you shouldn't talk about, but it's actually a huge deal for you. And you haven't given a person like a chance to just talk about it early on and either change behavior or give their perspective on it or like change your perspective on it. And so it almost does like a disservice. My current thinking now is like the longer you sit on something, the worse it gets over time. And the earlier you talk about something, it makes it so much easier to have a conversation about it and hopefully like work out what's happening or if it's like a, yeah, a difference in perspective or something that you have very possibly completely misconstrued like I often like will get this thing into my head of oh I'm being too needy it just gets bigger and bigger I'm like oh god I keep doing this like needy behavior 
But for the person that I'm dating, they might be like, oh, no, it's really sweet. I love it when you do that. It makes me think that you really care about our relationship. And so I've like built this whole story in my head of something that doesn't even exist. Mm, it's so true. And then meanwhile, you're in other ways, very much the other side of this whole looking glass, because you're working in an office of other empowered, I'm assuming predominantly women, where your issues are things like getting them to stop talking about sex so much. <laughs> I've we've had so many it's changed a lot as the company has like evolved and grown and it's a very difficult thing to work out what the lines are of like what's okay and what's not okay in this work environment and I was definitely much more scared about it early on in the company I think because I had a perception of like and this was even like a British thing actually of like work is work and there is like work culture and work self and then there's like out of work me and like friends yeah. culture and friends you can self. talk about the weather um, you can't talk about sex yeah all of that <laughs> yeah absolutely and then like obviously with work like sex was coming up more and more and we started creating more content about sex and so it was just kind of like slipping out and then it just got to a point where we did a whole month of content that was called anal august and I was just like, there is there is no way to do this apart from just clearly, confidently, like we're all just talking about anal at this point. Like, there's just no way we're going to get around this. And I think the confidence in the way there's talking about sex confidently, clearly and openly makes it not a scary topic. It means that someone can say something and it doesn't feel taboo and it doesn't feel like you've crossed the line it's you know and we're talking about sex it's not it's not all the time it's you know probably like it comes up a few times a week from some different like sex toy company we're working with mm -hmm. or something we've learned or something we've seen or something that came up in one of our events and so it comes up in that way and it's now just made it it's just not something that we have to worry about before I almost like made it worse by worrying so much about what was okay and what was not okay and now it's almost like have an open conversation. And if we haven't encountered it yet, where it's kind of crossed into unsafe territory, but that's it's something I'm like thoughtful of. But I think talking about it pragmatically and factually, not personally, I think that's probably the really big difference that we have. Like people don't talk hugely about personal experiences, more about like the shared experience of sex. Mm. And I think that's really nice and a great way to empower people because then they almost get practice talking about it in the vague. You've really got me thinking about it. I'm like, I've got quite a few friends that are teachers and I could probably guess which ones of them teach sex ed and which don't because mm. it probably does correlate with how much they, they talk about it personally because you're just if you're used to that if you can talk about it in a yeah. classroom if you can talk about it in your workplace then you can probably talk about it in a relationship easier yeah absolutely and I think it's wonderful I think it's like you know if I'm like when we were at like dinner parties I I like talking about sex because I just think so many people don't have like places where they can talk about it and they see it as something that's like held up with like tension or nerves or so private or so personal I really empathize that some it may be but for a lot of people it's like we all do it we're all doing it differently we're all doing it interestingly there's so many things to like learn from each other like what an amazing part of our lives it's like one thing that's meant to be like so pleasure focused and you know, we're keeping all the secrets to ourselves like there's more to share there's more to talk about also what a fun power move at a dinner party <laughs> we're going to talk about sex now guys get on board or leave the room it now yeah they're like oh that's a freaking queer girl down five, there. five okay, people go to up to get a drink <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and they're back to like how is stuff at work i'm like well at work <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's no escaping it. I love that. And so we sadly do need to start wrapping up. And with that, we've got to choose our rules of the game for this one. So is there something dating-wise, relationship-wise you try and live by you could recommend? Other than joining her. Obviously joining her. My, uh, do you know what? 
this is a new one and I can't say I've like got practiced it extensively, but I heard it in one of our events and I think it's wonderful. Don't be afraid to like fall in love and fall in love hard. This is my new like mantra. The mm-hmm. worst that can happen is you get your heart broken. I just thought it was so beautiful the way this, this is a woman who's like a queer poly sex ed, like communications instructor. And it's a way she like lived her life and was like, why are we living our lives holding back so much of ourselves? And like heartache is wretched and hard and horrible. But the greatest things in life is the chance to like fall in love and have the like ecstasy and elation and like joy that it brings. And so since she said that, I've been trying my hardest to like live more like that and like not hold so much back and just like go in hard, go in full. And the worst that could happen is I get my heart broken. Uh, yeah, only that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tiddly problem. No, I, I think that's great. I think, you know, that's the kind of courageousness we all want to have, right? Mm. And I guess we to kind of that. somewhat link to that then, I'll add to one of the things you brought up earlier about times when you were assuming what the other person was feeling. I really love mm. that. So that's going to be my rule of the game, not to assume what people are thinking, particularly when it's areas that you know you're struggling with. You know, that's where it comes to mm. that kind of self-awareness joint as well, because it'll often be the things you're worrying about most that are really important to you and that you actually maybe need a bit of reassurance of communication. So let's say you're struggling with body image at the moment. A lot of people are in lockdown. You're not going to be around people for a lot of us. And when we do get back to dating, you might find yourself assuming, oh, they're going to think I'm so fat. But realistically, if they've never met you before, what what are they comparing it to? You know, when you actually start unpacking it, a lot of the time it doesn't make sense, but it comes from a place of fear. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you've got to get other people on board to be like, okay, I'm feeling this way. What do you think? And most of the time, I would say they're going to be like, what? What, what, Why are you worrying about that? That's not a thing. The way I think about it, like a therapist that I've worked with over here, who defined it as like facts and stories. There's a set of facts. The facts are my body looks like this. The facts are I have this weight. The facts are we are on a date. The stories I hold about this is that I am too skinny. I am too fat. I am too whatever. The stories I hold is that you think I am this much. You think you're that much. These are all, and there's like so many different stories that could all exist around it. And so the only way we're going to actually figure out what is your version of this, what's my version of this, is if we're going to talk about it. And then we actually work out how I'm feeling about stuff, how you feel about it, and where we meet in the middle. Very good. (laughs) All spoken like a a true person that that talks about relationships constantly. It comes through. I'm working up to it. Although I think I talked about relationships a lot more than I thought. Nobody was particularly surprised when I started this podcast, put it that way. (laughs) So yeah, we'll wrap up there. If people want to go find her, remind me the web address. So first place to go to is the App Store. Go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store Mm -hmm. and download the app. And our website is weareher.com. That makes a lot more sense. Thank you. And <laughs> I mean, it it seems brilliant. I've read so many wonderful things. As I said, there's all the stories on the site about people that matched and, you know, got married and had kids and all of these things, which is so incredible when you think of something you created. You're getting so many people into relationships. No pressure, but there's going to be so many incredible people out there for you as well. And then maybe that's the next (laughs) app. Maybe the next app is like 
datingforrobin.org. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Robin's app. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, come come join suitors. The only person you can swipe on is me. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the app seems great. I did try joining it for research purposes, promise I wasn't going to catfish, and I was immediately barred from the service, which gives me great confidence that oh. your safety protocols are there and they saw me as a yeah. cis man a mile off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the users are pretty fast on it they're pretty and it, you know it's a it's what makes it feel safe it is uh yeah they're pretty fast at it hopefully <laughs> yeah it certainly seems it so yeah thank you so much for joining me it's been lovely thanks for having me great talking to you thank you for listening for more content including extended ad-free episodes you can join our patreon linked in the episode description our show is edited and produced by pete Murta, with music by the brilliant tessa violet Speak to you next Friday.